Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Sarah. We're two moms with eight kids between us, and we're the hosts of The Mom Hour. On this show, we're joined by a team of unique mom voices from across the country and in different stages of motherhood to bring you tips, ideas, and encouragement, and to help you feel a little less alone. We all know that motherhood is a lot easier when real moms share honest truths and remind each other that it's all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 438 of the Mom Hour. I'm Sarah Powers here with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hey, Sarah. So we're recording this just a couple days after Halloween, um, and I am curious because I'm thinking of you with only teenagers and wondering, do you have any Halloween candy spoils of trick-or-treating in your house at all? No, because we, we took, um, all of, well, okay. I take that back. We took candy over to my brother's house and we sat there ostensibly to hand out candy, but like nobody came, it it snowed that Mm -hmm. day. And I think, I don't know, they, they're on a pretty busy street, but for whatever reason, they didn't get anybody this year. So we just sat and talked and then we took a bag of candy home, like from the candy that didn't get handed out. Okay. But I told the kids to take it out of my sight. Right. So do we still have any? I have no idea. There's also, don't you feel like there's a little bit of a difference between the candy that is procured by the work of traipsing through the neighborhood in the dark versus the candy you may have bought to give out. Yes. 100%. It does not have the same. It doesn't have the same, like it's the thrill of the hunt. Yeah, Um, exactly. I know exactly what there is. And I'm not, I mean, I, and I had everything I wanted that night. I had, um, let's see, I had four Kit Kats and I believe I had six Twix. Okay. And then I also realized that I'm really weirdly holiday specific about my candy. Um, and I'm not a big, I'm not a big candy eater. I don't really eat candy except on holidays, um, or parties or whatever. So at Halloween, I really like Twix and Kit Kat. Okay. At Christmas, I like Hershey's Kisses and Rolos. Oh, Rolos. At Easter, I like M&M's of all all sites. I like all of them. But like, I don't often seek out, like I don't crissy cross as much. Isn't that weird? That is weird. But I think it makes sense. It's just, 
I mean, we're both so, um, have so many opinions about beverages. I'm very, very like, uh, ritualistic and seasonal, um, and time, time tied to beverages. I would say less so about candy. Um, but I hear you like Hershey kisses definitely feel like Christmas to me. Um, so the reason I asked is before we recorded, I was finally feeling like I was tidying up a little bit in the post Halloween chaos and two of my three kids did go trick or treating. So there are candy spoils. And I think part of it is the fun of like, Ooh, what's in here. And, um, I find myself, I was like peeking in there. I'm a plain, I love plain M&Ms, love them all year round in any context, but the little mini, the size you get when trick or treating is a really nice, just like, it's really, it's not very much. It's like, I don't know, 16 M&Ms or something. It's just perfect. If I had to add a third candy to my list, it would be plain M&Ms. I just think pastel ones taste better which has no scientific yeah. backing. Why would it pass? Like when I eat them, I even sort them by color mm. and I eat some colors together. And I, yeah, I do associate the peanut butter M&Ms, which I love not peanut M&Ms, but peanut butter M&Ms. I like them better than Reese's pieces. I like them better than almost any kind of M&M. I do associate those with Easter, but I will eat them all year round. I am a Reese's pieces eater all year round. I, I mean, like we could Reese's just talk about this. Do we have, do we have to do a whole episode? Is there a topic today? Is the topic, <laughs> topic of this episode leftover Halloween candy? Uh, no, it is not. Um, but today we have gathered for you all in this first week of November, we have gathered some of our best listener questions and our answers from over the years of this podcast having to do with tricky family dynamics, a very, um, a large umbrella term that encompasses a lot of things that happen during the winter holidays, but could happen all year round. So things like coming together in a big family gathering where there are kids from different families, different, um, age groups of kids, kids who are expected to play nicely together, but maybe they haven't seen each other in a really long time. Um, other fun things like making your own plans for the holiday season and having to communicate that to um, people who have opinions. And then what do you do with those opinions? And then the age old question of just how to respond when uh, people have opinions about the way you parent or how many kids you're having. Um, This was really fun for me actually to go back and listen to these questions and our responses. Um, It's we are packed with good stuff today. Well, I also love that these are going like way into the way back machine. Mm-hmm. So if you feel like you've heard everything um, that we've have to offer, there's probably some stuff you've forgotten because we've forgotten. Right. Or these you way back. Exactly. Or maybe you had like your first infant at that stage and now you're the one bringing the big kids into yeah. the family gathering. So, yeah, you're right. There's um, three questions we pulled from 2016. That is so long ago now. There's a 2017, a 2018, and then a couple slightly more recent. But um, yeah, this was fun to pull together. And we just thought going into the holiday season, um, it never hurts to be validated and reminded that many moms all over the world um, have these tricky issues come up. And um, it's it's not easy to navigate. And I don't know that yeah. we we are not the experts by any means, nor is there a shortage of expert advice out there on setting boundaries, holding boundaries, like navigating tricky situations. But I think sometimes what we can do is just have a regular conversation about it. And maybe that's helpful. Well, I hope so. Here you are. (laughs) Here you are, everyone. Enjoy. 
This question, the listener asked to remain anonymous. So this listener is asking about what happens when you have friends who have a completely different parenting style than you. And she talks about their situation of very, very good friends from before kids. Um, and the friends have an older child and then a toddler. And then this listener has a toddler. So their toddlers are about the same age. And she's talking about some some philosophically very different parenting styles. Um, what she says is that they're using kind of a more gentle, positive approach. They're not spanking. They're not yelling um, with their toddler. And these friends, especially the husband, um, yells, threatens, and spanks. So we're talking. We're not talking about mild differences here. We're talking about pretty big differences. Yeah. Um, her concern is that they're the couples are and the families are very close friends, and she doesn't see breaking it off. Her question is, have we ever encountered a situation like this? How did we handle it? What would we do? And she said, we can try to limit our daughter's time with them, but that that's not the, that's probably not the whole solution in this particular right. case. Um, so I don't know. I have some thoughts on this, but do you want to, well, you know, I will say it's, it's a toughie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my answer would have been very different 10 years ago than it would be now. Okay. Um, so keep in mind that I've been out of that right. stage where this thing even kind of comes up right. really. Um, I feel like over time, a lot of those differences that are very intense in the beginning, just kind of mellow. I think a lot of people are really overwhelmed when their kids are little or are trying to get on top of behavior, what they perceive as behavior issues or are really like nervous and anxious about it. There's just like a lot that happens at that stage that I feel like kind of starts to mellow Mm -hmm. over the years. Um, so for me, that has not that kind of thing has not really been as big of an issue for, I mean, since our kids have been past say two or three mm-hmm. and our friends kids. I think the other thing that I would keep in mind is if, is it a parenting difference that is the problem mm-hmm. or is it the way you feel or your kids feel when they're around mm-hmm. the other parents? Well, that's that to like, me, that's very like, is the environment scary yeah. or, you know, threatening to them? Um, are the parents like, you know, I, I don't, I'm not even going to get into what my personal parenting right. uh, discipline right. approach is. I'm sure you can probably guess, <laughs> but that's not to say I've never gone over the edge in a different direction. I didn't want to sure. go in, you know? <laughs> so is this something that is happening all the time in front of you and you're sitting there on the couch like, Oh my God, this is awkward. Or is it something that like, you're pretty sure it goes on beyond closed doors. Maybe as they get more comfortable is going to start to ease up. Like, I just think there's so many, right. There's just so many factors. Uh, one thing I will say when I was a very young mom with very young kids and I was very earnest and I was in this very earnest message board group <laughs> and they would say things like, well, you should, you know, confront them and give them advice and give them a book on positive parenting. And I could not tell yeah. you how much I don't recommend right. that approach. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear that, that they're doing it wrong from their friends. Yeah. Nobody. And it's not going to be met. And it doesn't matter how much concern or love right. your couch it yeah. in. No one wants that. I, that's my personal opinion. And I'm sure there are people, I think you can lead by example. Yes. I think you I can show that, that things yeah. aren't as hard yeah. as they seem. I think another thing that you can do, if you feel like that reaction's happening because the parents are embarrassed mm-hmm. because their kids are acting up in front of you, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot you can do to be like, Hey, it's cool. My kids do that too. Right. Or, yes. You know, don't worry about it. Yes. This is not a big deal. Just keep it very light. Yes. And that's really been my approach. And I just, I feel like because of that, because they know that I'm not coming in like judging or thinking they should do one thing or the other, that everyone can kind of relax. And then it's not really even a big issue anymore, but you know, your miles may vary on that. Um, well, one thing I was going to say about the ages of their toddlers, um, 
this listeners is 17, 18 months and the friends is two. And there is, it's, you are hands-on parenting at every second. If you get two families together with two, one and two year olds, you're basically public parenting the entire time, right? I mean, if if you know what it's like to be, especially to have two toddlers in the same room. So that dissipates so quickly to where at four and five, the kids are playing in another room completely. You guys can talk about TV shows and like your favorite restaurants. You're not even, you're, you're not doing the public parenting anymore. So that's one thing um, I was going to say. And I'm, I love that you said lead by example, because I was going to um, just give this listener encouragement to continue to publicly parent in the way that she feels is right for her kid. And that can be yeah. intimidating if your style is softer and the style that is in the, across the room from you is very like in your face. Um, mm-hmm. Cause you can kind of feel like, well, I'm just going to shrink in and do my own thing. And I don't mean like, you know, go overboard and start to parent the other person's child, but continue to, to do what you would do with your child, even when you're in that situation is what I would say, because yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I do think that whether they choose to notice it or ignore it, or maybe even pick up something for it. I think in so many cases, there's a lot of insecurity driving, especially yes. yeah. super controlling parenting styles. So like you said, leading by example and, and saying, yeah, we're all going through this. I think um, you're not telling them how to parent, but you're giving everybody permission to not be perfect, including yourself. Yes. Um, yeah, and then I will also say really quickly that mm-hmm. I can go in the other direction too. I've had other friends who we've been very close with who've, who've like sat back on the couch and let their kids destroy my house. Right. <laughs> and right. that also, I just chose to just kind of grit my teeth and get through it because I knew the relationship at the end um, was worth it to me, even if, yeah, my house was like destroyed after right. every time their kids were over. I, there's just, everyone's struggling yeah. in some way. So yeah, at that stage, yeah. you know, like I think a lot of empathy yeah. is needed. Yeah. Um, the final thing I was going to offer is as kids get older, they notice these things too. Um, and it's, it's always, it's, it's not a bad thing to give kids language to express how they feel when they're in kind of an awkward social situation or when they see different families being different. It doesn't have to be judgmental, but I know my kids, we don't do timeouts, but, but my kids were around tons of friends who were getting timeouts all the time and they would notice it. Like, and then sometimes they'd, they'd be like, well, we don't do timeouts. Like somehow they like drew the lucky straw or something, but, um, you can in the privacy with your own kids. And I'm talking about four five, six year olds who start to really notice these things you can just talk about how every family does things differently and why your family is the way you are. Not, it's not right or wrong, but here's why we choose to be this way. And, you know, here's how we can still be friends with people who act all different kinds of ways. I think those are good life lessons, no matter what the scenario, but it, mm-hmm. it is kids will notice. So yeah, absolutely. So it will come up for mm-hmm. sure. So Claire sent us an email and I'll set the context. There's the big extended family dinner at a restaurant. Um, and I will, yeah, we've all been there. And Claire's child was the youngest of a big group of cousins that were at the restaurant, but I'll read her words because I think that's the best way to set the scene. She said, um, just this last weekend, we had a big family reunion. There were seven kids total ranging in ages from 18 months to nine years old. Um, our expectation for our little boy is that he sits in a high chair, eats his food and stays in the high chair until we are done. We're all, we also keep in mind he's little and has a short attention span. So when we do eat out, we make sure it's going to be not too long. At the family reunion dinner, there was a lot of catching up and talking with family. So dinner took a while. The other six kids were basically running around 
being loud and in the way at the restaurant. Our little guy was seeing this and wanted down out of his high chair too. And when I did let him out, I was closely supervising him and basically supervising the other six kids as well, while the parents enjoyed a nice calm dinner in, in ignoring their kids. I guess my question is this. I don't want to parent the other six kids, but I do want to be absolutely sure my child isn't the one causing problems. Is this more an issue for me because my child was the youngest in the group or should I have said something to my cousins so they were aware their kids were being in the way? Oh boy, Claire. The juicy one. Hot topic. Um, Okay. So I want to set the stage by saying I am pretty anal about restaurant behavior. So that's the context I'm coming from. I've worked in restaurants. I don't let my kids run around. They stay in their seats, um, period. And have always been that way. And I will say when they were really little, that means we didn't go out to eat a lot. Yep. So I'm kind of almost looking at this and thinking, oh my gosh, why are you having a big family reunion at a restaurant? Right. It just sounds like a setup right right from the get-go that's not yeah. going to give anybody what they need necessarily. Right. So, I mean, that's not your fault, Claire. I'm just saying, like, it just sounds like you <laughs> walked, you just kind of wandered into a bad situation, kind of. Um, so, I mean, what do you do about it? That's the question. I think people know when their kids are running around. And I think people have different tolerance levels for that. And had it been me and I've been in that situation before, um, I have made jokes before like, hey, guys, you know, or like you do the it's it's either way. It kind of comes out kind of passive aggressive, right? Because you're doing the whole like, hey, little Cindy, you yeah. almost knocked ran into that waitress. Ha ha ha. And you you're hoping the other parents listening. And if they're not, then there's not a whole lot you can do. Right. It's not your kid. Right. I, I guess I'm just not really sure. I don't know. There's no good answer here except to say I'm validating Claire's frustration and saying it would be frustrating. And it's not on you. Your kid being the youngest in the group doesn't make you any more uh, culpable or responsible. Um, A big kid can do just as much and maybe more damage running around. So. Oh, definitely. I also (laughs) I also expect pretty good behavior in restaurants because I also waited tables forever. And just um, I guess I'm not too picky about how my kids are at the table. I feel like they're pretty. No, me too. Or semi-loud. But yeah, I, I would have, especially when you're in confined spaces, I don't like yeah. feeling like kids are in the way of servers. Um, I guess in this situation, if it were me, and again, how we got to this situation is the, the different story. But um, I think it is because your kid is the youngest. You can't let an 18-month-old run off and play with the big kids. What right. I probably would do um, is, because I'm stuck being with my kid anyway, there's not an option really there. Right. Um, I would probably approach one of the cousins and say, hey, this, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with how many kids there are right in this small space. Would it be okay if um, I took them outside or one of you want to join me outside for a little bit? Yeah. Because then you kind of put it on yourself. Like, hey, I feel really bad. Um, and you're not, you're not blaming any of the kids, but like, I feel bad for the restaurant that we're, you know, causing this scene in here. And I'm happy to take the kids outside. Would you help me? I don't feel comfortable watching six kids by myself. Or would somebody else want to come out with me and we can chat while the kids run around? So um, so I guess I would say something, but not necessarily to correct the kids' behavior. Because here's the other side. I am, as we know, as we discuss often, I am on the, I am entering into the phase where I am one of those people who can sit back have a glass of wine and let my kids play. Not that I would let them play right in a restaurant, but I am no longer the one bouncing a baby right. around at a yeah. restaurant. And it is really awesome. So I kind of empathize with, I mean, maybe her cousins are really good conscientious parents and just really for the first time, we're able to sit down and enjoy a conversation and we're being like 
sort of benign, benignly negligent because it yeah. felt really darn good. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, no, like, I get that. I totally do. And I will say... just kind of like let the kids go because it's been eight years since you've been able to do that. And yeah. poor Claire is not at that phase. So she has she's, no choice. She's so like, hey, I got no choice. Um, you know, and I will say I have friends who have very active toddlers and I'm not in that stage and have not been for a very long time. And, and right. Clara, even longer than Clara, because she was not a super active toddler right. and she was easy at that kind of thing. So it's been a long time for me. But one of the ways I've sort of given back, I guess, paying it forward is I will always be the one to pull that three-year-old in my lap and yeah. get out crayons and paper. I mean, I just feel like that's my yeah. duty as a parent who's been there to give my friends a break yes. so they can yes. enjoy their beer or whatever and not yes. worry about their kid running around. But yeah. at the same time, in this, the situation that Claire's describing, um, I just wouldn't be, I, I would have a really hard time with that. I would not be enjoying myself. So I would right. have to do something. And like yeah. you said, that's a great solution. Your solution is good. Could suggest we move on to a different venue. Maybe, yeah. um, maybe like next time ask for a private room. Right. Pull out some crayons and paper and distract the kids. Uh, right. Get out a tablet. I mean, there's options in this case. And I think, you know, everybody, everybody is equally responsible to make that happen. But again, like you said, everyone has different. She's stuck yeah. there anyway. Right. Yeah. I mean, like I want to say something about the whole parenting other people's kids, because I think this can get to be a hot topic. And oh, I yeah. think in certain circles, you're like never allowed ever to parent other people's kids. And I just don't agree with that like as a blank as a premise blank yeah. statement. Yeah, I, I agree. Think there's ways to talk to groups of kids, even kids that you're just meeting for the first time or that you don't hang out with very often. I think there's really respectful ways to talk to kids where, um, especially if there's one or two really conscientious or maybe a little bit more mature, less rowdy kids in that group who really might change their behavior with a little bit of a reminder. And I don't think that that's I don't, I really don't think that's overstepping bounds. I think sometimes parents overstep their bounds in parenting other people's kids for sure. But in a case like this, I just would use my like mama teacher voice and yeah, be absolutely. like, Hey guys, you know, there's waiters coming through with hot food and we don't want anybody to get hurt or get spilled. So let's take this and move it over here or let's play an I spy game or let's like, I, so, but again, if I, if I had an 18 month old, that was my first kid and I had not been around big kids as much, I probably wouldn't have the confidence to do that. But now yeah. I would, I have no yeah. problem directing, <laughs> telling yeah. a group of kids what to do. And, and it, and it doesn't offend me at all. If someone else does that. Yeah. I mean, so, I think there's ways uh, yeah. to do it that, you know, when it gets real personal or when you're interviewing, intervening in an argument or something, I get why people get sensitive about that. But when you're just, when it's basic, basic things like this, like, kid um, management it's just yeah 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 it's just reminding and kids need reminders I think also one final thing too is when you have little little ones big kids can be kind of like a strange beast right like they're mm. just if you don't have them they're big and they're loud and they're noisy and so the rowdiness seems almost even more magnified because you're yeah. not used to it I don't know Claire I feel like I hope you, we backed you up here because we've totally been there the oh yeah crappy situation so I hope it didn't seem like we're taking the other side just no, not, I'm not taking, yeah. I'm not even taking oh. a side. I'm saying, I think I'm, I tend to be more like Claire. Um, I have compassion for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and like you said, you don't, you don't know what was going on in anyone's mind. So I'd have no idea. I think in the future, um, if you have any, if you have any say in the planning of something like this, um, maybe set everyone up for just yep. better times. All right. Well, Claire, oh. we hope that helps. I hope that helps. And hopefully you don't have to do a family reunion dinner until you're the one who can sit back and exactly. enjoy your glass of wine. <laughs>
Sarah, we both know this time of year can be crazy. So this is a great time to get ahead with no prep, no mess meals from our sponsor, Factor. I love how these meals are ready to eat and delivered right to your door. I mean, you can't beat that convenience, but most importantly, they're seriously delicious. Yeah, Megan, I agree. Our whole family was impressed with the quality and flavor of Factor meals we tried. And it turned out to be a great option for my teenagers when they got home late from a theater practice or came home from school super hungry. There's zero prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Factor meals just need to be heated for about two minutes and they're ready to go. Yeah, and for any listeners with wellness goals this month, Factor has six menu preferences to support your lifestyle. Whether you're trying to boost your protein, avoiding meat, or simply focusing on well-balanced meals. And you can pause or reschedule deliveries to fit your lifestyle. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. Head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour50 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built-in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the forever chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's from our O-U-R place.com code MomHour. Here's the first question that came from Rebecca. She asked, how do you enforce your rules and expectations when traveling or at someone else's house or around cousins that may not behave in the same way? That's a that's a really good question. Yeah. You want to start? Ooh, well, OK, so my my philosophy has always been if we're in my house, they're my house rules. Mm-hmm. So if you're in my house, you follow my house rules. Mm hmm. If we're, if my family is in someone else's house, my kids have to follow my house rules, regardless of what everyone else is doing, unless I choose to defer them, yeah. which I often do. Sure. So yeah, no, people aren't going to parent the same way as you. Right. And other people's kids aren't going to act the same way as yours. Right. And also my tolerance for other people's kids is always lower than my own, mostly mm-hmm. because I'm not used to the way they're annoying yet. Like, right. I know how my kids are annoying and, and I know I can, can like, I can anticipate what they're going to do that's going to get under my skin and I have the power to do right. something about it and I don't have that power about other kids. So sometimes if you're like me and you're not a big lover of other people's kids, I'm just going to put it that way, yeah. um, it's really easy to get almost like unfairly judgy or annoyed by other people's kids mm-hmm. because you're not used to their particular brand of obnoxiousness mm-hmm. and there's nothing you can do about it. Right. 
Um, so just, I guess those are two big caveats to, as to say, like, you can still absolutely enforce your rules and expectations. You may just feel, you might find that it's better or you're happier if you relax stuff a little yes. bit. Yes. And I would say when you're picking and choosing, I tend to stick, I, I tend to stick more strictly to the rules and expectations that keep my kids happy and healthy. So like I will use the example of screen time. I have stricter screen time rules than most families. Um, and part of it is because I have one child who is really, really has behavioral issues when he does too much gaming iPad. So me sticking to that rule and expectation isn't just about being a stickler or about like showing off that I have strict screen time rules. It's because if I relax that rule, it really has an effect on our whole family dynamic. Whereas yeah. sugar or bedtimes are things that I'm much more likely to let go or just go with like my kids go to bed early normally, but they're really pretty good at staying up late now. They didn't yeah. used to be, but so I would much more I'd be much more likely to go with whatever the house rules are like, oh, your kids stay up later. Great. My my kids can hang um, because it's not going to come back and bite me in the same way. So I think yeah. just being a little bit strategic about it and sticking to some of them and letting others go and picking and choosing the ones that contribute back to your own happiness yeah, <laughs> and your no, own. I totally agree. Yeah. So um, but I do know that I don't my kids don't have same age cousins, but I do imagine that especially with kind of behavior and discipline issues that that I'm sure that gets hard when when it's a it, it whole does. gaggle of kids and there's just oh, yeah. different expectations. You will, you know, there's 16, you know, kids yeah. in, in my yeah. family. And so, yes, and especially when they were all little <clears throat> together or like a lot of them were little together. Um, I will also say don't assume that anyone else at the party is picking up on what your rules are. Like you might think you're making it really obvious and the other parents are going to get on board and help you. Right. And they might not have any idea yeah. what's going on. They might not. They might be so focused on their own kids. They might be so glad that their kids are being good and they're just getting a break. Like, yeah, whatever, whatever reason it is, they, they might just not know. So I have never found it to be an issue. Like if someone ever came to me, my kids have had pretty relaxed screen time rules for the most part. But if anyone ever came to me and they have many times, I right. um, just was just like, you know, I think it'd be best if the kids all shut off their whatever's by seven because my kids have a hard time winding down or my kids aren't allowed to watch this or play that. Right. I am happy to enforce that with my kids and right. and to not make it like oh well you can't do that because your cousin can't you know right there's ways to do it like hey guys let's play a game and i think sometimes it takes actually saying it in so many words uh -huh. to whoever the other adults at the party um yeah. otherwise they might just not notice yeah so don't assume that other p parents are like blowing you off or well, we tend not to accepting your rules or whatever. Right. And we tend to be a little bit insecure about our own parenting and rules, especially when we're new. So we can assume that other people are really confident in theirs and they've thought it all through and they know what they're doing. And we're right. the ones floundering. But really, everybody's floundering. So most people, I think, are pretty willing to work with you, just like you said, if you. And, I, and sometimes it. it takes it takes being the the one who kind of spearheads it. And uh -huh. You can do that in a super non-judgy way. Like you could walk in the room and say, hey, I was thinking, you know, everyone's playing cards, let's say. Mm -hmm. And you walk in and say like, hey, I was thinking it'd be great for the kids to like put away the tablets and do something different. Or I think it's I would love for the kids to start getting settled into bed. There's ways to say things in a way that's just kind of upbeat and chipper and not right. like, why aren't they? Why are these kids still running around? Right. And where everyone can get on board together. Yeah, so. I totally agree. Okay, so let's dive into Madison's question. She said, recently we were with my husband's parents and siblings. His sister, who is 22, mentioned that she and her friends were using drugs just for fun together sometimes. 
Obviously, we are very concerned for her, but I am not responsible for her. I am responsible for my kids and what they are exposed to. I'm not trying to be super judgmental and holier than thou, but how do we handle what our kids are exposed to even just with our family? I know they'll be exposed to the things of the world at some point, but I don't think it should be now. And her kids are four and one. So she asks, have you ever had relatives that were open about sharing things around your kids that you were not okay with them learning? And how did you handle it? So my interpretation here is that um, Madison's mostly talking about the subject matter itself, not the behavior, or it could be, you could substitute swearing or like right. dirty jokes or um, basically yeah. like a, adult level conversations spoken freely with young kids around. And she did mention that her four-year-old listens to and picks up on everything. So it's not just like a baby. What do well, you think? So it is hard. And I've been in this position, um, having kids that kind of fell in the middle between, you know, being on the younger side of some cousins and the older side of others. And sometimes my kids are the, have probably been the, have been the mm-hmm. aggressors and probably at points in my life, I've been the aggressor in these situations. So I think that first of all, you know, 22 is an age where I'm sure, um, your husband's sister is not very clued into who's listening or mm-hmm. even their comprehension level. Like if you've got a baby and a young preschooler in her mind, it's like maybe babies at the table who aren't paying attention. So right. like almost like remove the drug use from it and go, what else? Like, what if she had just like busted out with a word you don't want your kids to hear or something like that? And I think it, it's like two approaches. One is um, like in the moment redirecting. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is like damage control. And I guess I would, I would employ them both depending or maybe just one or the other, depending on like the company and what was said. So I've definitely been in situations before where there have been young adults or teenagers who said things in front of my kids. I didn't want them to hear. And I have like made a pointed look at them and like, Hey, like, think about who's in the room or like right. <laughs> things like that. And I think sometimes that quick redirect in the moment takes care of the problem. Cause then that person's like, Ooh, I shouldn't have said that. Or, you know, oops, I really like stepped over a boundary. Um, and then if you're really concerned of it being something like that, your four-year-old say was really listening deeply picked up on and now is curious about then after that, you got to do some of your own damage control on your own time. Sure. Like, what did you hear? Was that, are you have questions? Um, did you find that upsetting? Were they paying attention? Like that, those are all things you can find out. If it were me, unless it was like a long extended conversation where it just kept going and the sister never picked up on your cues to stop, I probably wouldn't say anything to her unless it was like an ongoing problem, but I might, I guess it just depends. I don't know, Sarah, I'm curious what you think. Yeah. A couple of thoughts. Um, I've dealt with this more actually with adults wanting to discuss the news or scary things happening in the world. And I have a couple of anxious kids and all of my kids like adult conversation and will listen. So they are not like off. I mean, sometimes they're off doing their own thing, but often they are right among us. And I have um, just like said something before we go into a mixed group dynamic and be like, Hey, and I, I, tr- I always try to frame it as it's not, um, I'm not saying anyone's doing anything wrong or that, that I try to make it about my kids. Like I almost take the blame yeah. a little bit, be like, Hey, you know, so-and-so is extra anxious and we've been really struggling at bedtime because they've been hearing like scary stories from the news about school shootings or whatever. So like, let's just not, let's just not go there when the kids are in the room. And most of the time they're like, oh my gosh, you're so right. I didn't even think about that. I I think you're, you were so right to point out that adults often who aren't around children a lot have a very, they don't remember 
what ages are appropriate for understanding something, when the kids might be paying attention, what might be inappropriate. And I've also had actually the, the opposite, which I've had like someone drop a swear and then look at me and be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry the kids are here. And I'm like, I don't don't care about that at all. Like they've heard. So it, you know, I think in many families, people want to do what's best. And I think you can provide very respectful boundaries ahead of time, especially if you frame it as something that is your problem, not theirs. And then I think my final thought is if it's a repeated thing, um, I'm a big fan of just like circumventing the whole the whole thing by maybe setting up a movie or something for the kids in the other right. room. If you know, it's a matchup, like there's the one uncle who's always going to tell dirty jokes and like, it's, you can't avoid it. So you just plan for that and you plan to have a movie on in the next room or, you know, a curious four-year-old it will probably listen to everything, but a lot will still probably go over. They his won't absorb head. it all. They won't. Right. So, so I, what I think is great here is Madison's ears perked up when she heard the story being told that was not for little ears. She was like, okay, but I'm guessing that a one-time, a one-time occurrence is not, you know, hasn't really infiltrated the brain of the four-year-old most likely. Agreed. And I think that that isn't always something that other people are looking out for, even if they have experience with kids. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a question from Emily that came in by email and okay, this is not one I have a lot of personal experience with, but I feel like it comes up. It is a major stressor during the holidays. And that is, um, if you have both sides of a family or multiple sides of an extended family living nearby enough. And I think that's key because nearby enough might even be three hours. Right drive. How do you decide where to spend the different parts of the holidays, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, dinner, church, whatever, um, and avoid shuttling your little kids from in-law to your house, to your own nuclear family's house? Yeah. Okay. So this is how this has evolved a lot. And I think this is something where you need to like allow it to change. Mm. Um, John and I got married really young and his family always went to visit their family in Buffalo mm-hmm. had since he was a little kid. Well, when what I'm becoming kind of aware of now is when kids get older, things start to change. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard when you're the kid with the when you're the adult child Mm -hmm. with the oldest kid. Yes. Because you're the one who has to change. things. We were, too. On Brian's side. We were the first ones who didn't go to Christmas. in Connecticut, And that's what ended up happening with us. Like we just kind of got a couple of years in. And I think it was one year we basically got like the there was terrible weather and we got there and it was you know we're in this tiny I don't remember we were in one of the relatives houses and it was too small for all of us and now we had a baby and a toddler who are running around and it was just really stressful and so we stopped and when we stopped doing that John's parents were like you know why don't we just start doing this like in the summer instead like why it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be christmas mm-hmm. and they had a lot of traditions at christmas mm-hmm. and um around the same time I started another tradition with my family, which was that we would always do Christmas on New Year's. My big thing is I will absolutely always be with my kids on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, and we will not plan to go to anyone else's house. Now, we may have family stop by who lives in town, Mm -hmm. or we may stop by a friend's house who lives in town, or we might decide to take all the kids on a trip. Mm -hmm. But what we won't do is be doing a lot of traveling on Christmas and and Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. We're just not Mm going to do it. And that's my non-negotiable. I guess I just feel like everything else is negotiable. Everything else can change. Right. 
but you have come to the point where you have a non-negotiable and yeah. I feel like that's where Emily is trying to figure out. So yeah. I'm, I'm looking at the last sentence of Emily's email and she said, it's madness traveling back and forth with all the kids to each side. And I'd love to hear about what other families do to please everyone. You can't please everyone. <laughs> Emily, we, you can't. Lo- we love you, but you can't please everyone. People are going to be mad at you. And here's the other thing. Saying no the first time or putting your foot down and saying, um, here's how we are going to do it as our family. Um, exercising that muscle to say, here's how our family, and I don't mean the extended family. I yeah. mean the family that is now yours. Here's how we are going to do things this year. Um, that's a muscle that gets easier and easier the more Absolutely. you, and it doesn't have to be mean or like have a lot of, it's just, this is what we are doing this year. Certain, you know, that some with some family members that may require more explanation, but it's still your prerogative to do that. Now, sometimes you may not know what you want to do. You really may want feel like you want to be everywhere at once. I have one very close friend um, in Arizona who has two sets of very involved family on both sides right in town. And um, she has four little kids and they, I really admire how she has handled it um, because they have they've created a, a system and I'm pretty sure they alternate Christmas Eve and Christmas evening every year. And it really doesn't it doesn't really change. It's like this is our year for Christmas Eve with you know, the, you know, the wife's family, this and the next year. And they, they alternate, they trade back and forth. Not that they wouldn't be flexible if there was some conflict or something, but having the expectation set. And then the other thing they don't do is go anywhere on Christmas morning. So they do present opening on Christmas morning at at their own home and they don't go anywhere till afternoon or dinner time or whatever. And she has still, it is still hard, but I think, um, knowing that you get to be in charge of your own family Um, and knowing, knowing that if both sets of grandparents are in town, there are other opportunities to hang out. Well, and I think that you touched on something really important, Sarah, and that is, you know, whether or not you live in the same town with these people or not, you have, you have 365 days a year to see people. And I know that the holidays are so important to some people and it's like, we've always done it that way. So, and, Mm -hmm. or like, this is when we should all be together. And there's this fairy tale idea around it and this overly sentimentalized idea Mm -hmm. that this is how it should be. So we try to be all things to all people. And you can't, if you do that, you're going to end up diluting the experience for Mm -hmm. yourself. It needs to be enjoyable for us, or we just turn into grumpy martyrs and we don't have any good memories to look back at. And I'm really glad we've really since just out of necessity, when our kids were really little kind of created that boundary and then stuck to it. Right. So I really try to say like, you know, does it even make sense for us to try to cram this much in on one holiday day? Or would right. we be better off having a week where the in-laws come to visit or whoever the out of town, mm-hmm. the out of town relative is. And we focus on those people and the other memories we can create with those people. Right. Why does it have to be on Christmas right. yeah. or New Year's or whatever? So that's kind of where I'm at. And I think that that's pretty common and it's hard and you won't make everyone happy. No, you someone won't. will be upset. And I, I think I'm a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. And maybe Emily sounds like yeah. maybe you are <laughs> just going by your words. Um, I think what I finally realized is it's literally impossible to please everyone. And all you can do is be kind and set your boundary and say what you're going to do. And then really not engage too much in the fallout because it's not going to get better necessarily. The other like practical tip I would offer Emily is if she thinks that say, say somebody's going to make a big change or declare we need to stay home this Christmas and not shuttle everyone around. Um, I would, I would say, have that conversation sooner rather than later. Sometimes we can dread those things and you're, you dread it and then you put it off. And then what you end up doing is really not of service to your family or your in-laws either, because then you're kind of being like, well, I'm not sure what we're going to do. Just if you think this is the year to change things up, be brave and have those tough conversations and have them clearly. 
so that you're not feeling like you've promised yourself uh, vaguely to everybody. Because yes. then you've got to really disappoint people. You right. might as well set really clear expectations and disappoint them early. All at once. Yeah. And, yes. Early, yeah. And yes. be clear about it so they know what to expect and they can make their plans. One thing I was going to offer, too, is, um, you know, hosting at your own house has been one way that we avoid a lot of holiday travel. And it really never bothered me, even when I had baby, toddler, another kid. I, I'm lucky. My family helps out. They help do dishes. Mm -hmm. I never have to do all the cooking. But if it's an option to bring people to you, mm -hmm. that's another really good way to not have to drive back and forth. If the two sides of in-laws get along or if there's one one brief time when everybody can come together like at your house. Kind yeah. Of thing. yeah, I think yeah. that makes a lot of sense. And that worked for me for a very long time. It's tough, though, man. I mean, I know I'm still I feel like I'm still negotiating this every year, not only now with all of my relatives and there, I have a lot, um, but with my kids. Yeah. And it all comes out of love. We yes, know. absolutely. Everybody but, wants it. But, um, yeah. Just simple across town drives. If you if it's wintertime and kids are sugared up and tired already, even a cross town yeah. drive can be hard on families. So we, we hear you, Emily. Hi, Megan. Hi, Sarah. My name's Candace. I live in uh, Gig Harbor, Washington. And my question is about how to respond to or deal with negative holiday um, stress from family members or feedback, I guess, on a choice I'm making. Um, my husband and I have two littles. Um, my son, Owen, is three, and my daughter, Olivia, just turned one. And this year, instead of traveling to um, anyone else's home for Christmas Day, my cousin is hosting this year. And it is local. We would just have to drive about 40 minutes away. But this year, my husband and I decided that we want to stay home with our kids. They're only little for so many years, and we really this year just wanted to stay home in our jammies, eat, take naps, play with the toys um, with our kids, and just create those special family memory memories with our kids. And I got a lot of negative feedback from my family members um, that it was a selfish choice and that they're disappointed in us for taking the kids away from them. And I just don't feel like it's a selfish choice. And just wondering what other mamas um, and what you guys think or, or what, how I should respond and what I should say. I'm kind of struggling with it a little bit. I'm still proud in my decision and still planning on staying home, but just kind of wondering what your thoughts might be and how maybe I could respond. Um, love you guys so much. Um, thank you so much for taking my question. Happy holidays. Okay, Sarah, uh, I feel, I feel a rant coming on. Okay. I'm, I'm okay. prepared. <laughs> but hopefully Candace will find this validating. Okay. Um, I just, so many days of the year, I do not understand. And, and I'm like getting all tense while I might have like little fists in my lap. <laughs> I don't understand why we like so rigidly stick to like this one day as the day all families have to get together and celebrate their love for each other. It's like, yeah. you know, Candace, your, your cousin only lives like 40 miles away. So I bet you guys see each other other times. Yeah. So what I'm doing right now is saying you're totally not in the wrong to want to that your families, your nuclear family, your new family, this is a new family yes, for you. It is and your family. It is your family and you get to create the holiday that you want. And I, I, I get so frustrated when people can't let go of this idea that everything has to happen on December 25th. And by that, I mean all the outside families. Yes. Stuff. If you want your December 25th or 24th or 18th or whatever it is to happen exactly the way you want it to happen, that's your right. And I, I just think like sometimes you do get that pushback. Yeah. Um, and people just get over it. I have a couple of things I want to say. Okay. But I want to address that she got negative feedback from family members that it was a selfish choice. And mm. here's what I think when people accuse someone else of being selfish, I think it is very often a sign that they are envious that they 
don't have the confidence to uh, do the same thing. Think about it. Like, think about if if you're saying that someone else is being selfish, maybe they're being selfish. But so often, do you kind of wish like you had the gumption to yeah. to make that choice for yourself and maybe you didn't? So I, I really feel like, first of all, you're allowed to be selfish. It's your family. Um, I, like you said, Megan, the extended family will get over it. But I think in particular, that insinuation that you're being selfish is not about you. It's about people yeah. who probably wish they had made the same decision or who kind yeah. of feel like, wow, like didn't even know that was an option. So I feel really like proud of you, Candace, yeah, that you are taking a stand and they'll get over it. Um, I would say you might be able to make the appearance of a compromise and just say, you know, guys, like December 25th, like we're really keeping that sacred just for us this year or we don't want to leave. But yep. like, you're welcome to stop by on the 24th. Yeah. But again, you guys only live 40 miles away, so you can come see us yeah. or maybe throw like a like a New Year's Day party or open house or suggest that you all get together on a different day, but close to Christmas. Mm -hmm. And maybe you might have to be the one to take the lead on that and take yeah. the charge. Yeah. It doesn't have to be this year. This year is probably kind of in the book. Yeah. Um, but if that's something that's really important to you, you can maybe show that you, you know, really do want to get together with everyone and that your extended family is important to you yeah. by saying next year, I'm going to do this on this day. But yeah. you're, you know, it sounds like you're, sticking to your guns and that's great because I think that you're totally in the right and I think everyone else will they'll get over it they'll get over it I, I love that she said that everyone's disappointed in them for taking the kids away from them I know I mean first of all I, right they're that your was, kids right that's <laughs> there's like really no, laying it on there's thick. no obligation um because she asked how she should respond and what she should say I want to um have you seen that thing floating around the internet Megan where it reframes I'm sorry into thank yous I love it every time it floats around I, oh, it's, no, a, I haven't seen it's that. a great little way to think every time you are about to apologize think about if sometimes an apology is necessary, I'm not saying there's but no room. Most but of the time, you're probably not what, really sorry. Yeah, right? what you mean is thank you for understanding. So instead of sorry I'm late, you say thank you for your patience. And it's like there's a cute little I don't know. I'll dig it up and link it up. But it's a great way to reframe the way you think, especially for a lot of women who tend to apologize for ourselves. Yes. So when you when you do respond, um, think about that difference. And you know, if you truly feel sorry, you can say you're sorry. But maybe what you mean is you know thank you so much for respecting this because this is right. what our family is going to do and and I don't think you need to apologize you can thank them for understanding but you're like thanking them in advance which is yeah. I love it because it's like they're not actually understanding <laughs> yeah. but when you thank someone in advance for something they kind of have to yes. they have to get on board yeah right yeah yes and it's it, it really is a very I think respectful way to show that this is not up for discussion right exactly like, yeah oh it is hard it is hard and you'll be okay we are welcoming back Vionic as a sponsor today. And Sarah, I will be honest, I was sorting through my warmer weather wardrobe the other day and it could seriously use a refresh, but you know what's good to go? My shoes. I've got a great selection to choose from thanks to the Vionic Vitals collection. And lately the pair I keep putting on again and again is the Uptown Loafer. I have two pairs, one in sand suede and the other in camel leather, but please don't make me pick a favorite. Oh, I won't. I'll let you keep both. That's so funny, Megan, because I was a little jealous of your Uptown loafers. I was the last one on our team to get a pair, but I just did. I also got mine in the sand suede, and I think I've worn them like four times this week. They really finish off a cute spring outfit. The Vionic Vitals collection has the best essential styles for everyday wear to get you ready for spring. 
And no matter what shoes you choose, you'll be on the go in comfort because every single pair of Bionic shoes delivers their trademark Viomotion technology for a difference you can feel. Bionic sandals, sneakers, and flats all offer incredible support, stability, and cushioning, and every pair comes with a 30-day risk-free trial, so it's easy to try them out. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya Vitamins have loved them, which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves, so they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's Chewable Kids Vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Okay, so this question comes from Jenna, um, and it's something I can definitely relate to. I'll read, I'll read her email. Hi, Megan and Sarah, I have a question. Have you ever faced judgment or at least intrusive questioning into your family size or spacing? We recently found out we're expecting our fifth and I'm vaguely nervous to field unwanted comments on my decision to have another since I got some negative comments on having a fourth. My husband and I are delighted to have another and always wanted a big family, but it still stings when people project their experiences onto me. Thanks in advance. Okay. So the first thing I want to say is I experienced my first negative comment about my family size when I got pregnant with number three and I couldn't believe it. Wow. And it wasn't even really like outwardly negative. Someone just said, well, what are you going to do with three kids? <laughs> And I said the same thing I do with two. I, I just remember feeling like, what? Like, I have to apologize for having two ki- or three kids. So, I mean, I think it's all relative and a big family to one person yeah. will be different from a big family to another person. Um, a little bit of, I guess, reassurance. I didn't get, I was really nervous about the fifth, but I did not get um, like proportionately more negative comments for number five than I got for four. I think four was weird. Like, you know, like hands down weird to a lot of people. Yeah, four is and, like a big divide, I think. Yes, Three is becoming five, more common. Yeah, and five wasn't that much weirder. So like I didn't get like a big rush of negative comments on number five that I hadn't gotten with number four. And a lot of people had gotten it out of their system with number four. Right. <laughs> so like I, I really didn't feel like I was more, um, like I was more criticized. I think I had also gotten more comfortable as a mom with a big family and like kind of ate it up a little bit when I would be walking around and people were like, whoa, you've got your hands full. Uh, and people do say really dumb things. Sometimes yeah. the intent is great and sometimes the intent is not. And I think um, I try to assume, assume positive intent when possible. So if people say you've got your hands full, um, I try to take that as like a compliment toward me that I am managing things well, whether or not it's actually said that way is, you know, probably the, uh, well, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, who knows what people actually think when they say stuff, but the more you walk around, feeling like people are watching you and judging you, the more 
you maybe take things not in the way that they were meant. I just find it fascinating. And I'm going to like, I'm going to give all the grandparent age and above a free pass and just say like, they're just saying, dumb they're just stuff. saying, well, like, and they're just saying something to have something to say to you. Exactly. Like, yeah, and and so. most of them are well-meaning and even the ones that aren't, I feel like, okay, just nod past the potatoes. Right. right? Isn't that what we say? Like, yeah. The, yeah. But I still find, so taking them out of the equation, I find it kind of baffling that any adult would say anything other than congratulations to No, I do too. It is baffling. It's just like not cool, guys. Like you don't ask like I I don't know, you don't make you don't make the comment. So this question to me is like ah, uh, I want to give Jenna the, like you said, the confidence in number 5 is like just evidence that they rocked four so well yes. that like hopefully people will be like, "Yeah, you guys should have a fifth." Cuz yeah, you awesome. got this down. Yeah. And so, I definitely felt that way more with number five. I felt the intent. I felt the criticism so much more intently with number four. And I agree. It, it is weird that people say stuff. I think sometimes it's a weird, nervous thing. They don't know what else to say. So they just blurt something out. Um, but I've gotten, I mean, there are people who have said to me, literally like looked at me and gone, well, better you than me. And there's nothing to say to that then probably. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I really did have like, like real, and I didn't say them in a mean way, but I would just have like a little couple little statements that I would make that were two or three words. And I would say, like, I love it. Yeah. Or something like that. Or people say, like, I'm blessed or whatever. I mean, because whether it's coming from a place of cluelessness or a place of mean spiritedness or just real negativity about motherhood in general, which you will hit the minute you become a legit breeder, which four puts you at legit breeder status. But like five is really there. People are suspicious of you because they they know you love kids. It's weird. Like There's this weird like well, they're looking um, for a reason. Are you extremely religious? Are you? um. Do you, you not know. know how to use birth control? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you not believe in birth control? Um, like, yeah, it, it, people will say really, really dumb things. And I think you just, you just have to have the little responses that you can use that kind of shut things down. Yeah. I like, without I like having like engage. your arsenal for each one. I, there's something, um, a little bit sexist, I think about the implication that it's out. First of all, the comments are usually Always directed at, the mom. at yeah. the mom and she may be the one that's out or visibly pregnant or whatever. There's also this implication that like she hasn't thought this through, which I find yep. very, very offensive. <laughs> like, yep. you know, that's going to be expensive. Five college tuitions, like all of the yep. all of the comments. Um, So I like your idea as opposed to being mad or sort of like bitter or, you know, or even defensive, defensive about it's it, more just having like, you know, your little canned response, whatever yes. it is. Yes. Yeah. Um, I will also say that as your kids get bigger, the feeling of being so um, in the fishbowl will get so much better. Right. They, because they're not physically all under you at all times. Yeah. And when you go out, like even when my kids, even when my kids were all the age where I was still often out with all five of them at once. Like if we were at the grocery store, two of them were, wouldn't even be walking by yeah. me. Um, so it just feels different than when a mom with a baby, a toddler, a preschooler, a six-year-old and an eight-year-old all walk in someplace together. Then everyone's like, whoa, yeah. what is this? And it, that <laughs> will change quickly. Um, and you'll become, you know, just like you jumped in to having four and you got good at it and efficient. It'll happen even more quickly with number five. And so yeah. you're going to be that pro that people actually are going to be a little bit wowed by and amazed by. And if you can focus on that, I feel like all the criticism is just, a, it's, it's just dulled. Yeah. I mean, it's still there and it still stings. And people will say really dumb things online and don't read the comments. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, I but. think that's good. And and it's also helpful to know, because at least at the time that Jenna sent us this, 
she they had pretty much just found out and hadn't started telling people. So you do kind of have to brace yourself like anything, like any big piece of news that you're like, I don't know how the world's going to take this. It's it's a relatively finite period of time. You're going to get the comments when you announce you're going to get the comments as your pregnancy grows. And it's real obvious to the public world. Um, But it's a finite period of time and you get infinite amount of joy and love from a fifth baby. So yes. hopefully that just kind of arms And be you. loud and proud about it. Like when yeah. you, you know, don't apologize to the world when you announce the pregnancy or when the baby is born or whatever it is, like this is an awesome thing you're doing. A lot of people would never do it. A lot of people could never do it. So yeah. there you go. Hi, ladies. My name is Cynthia. I'm from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And my question is, how do you deal with culture clashes when it comes to parenting? When, say, the grandparents have one idea that comes from their cultural background, in my case, uh, Chinese, and um, you have a different idea, how do you deal with that? Okay, Cynthia, I love this question because I think that, like, these culture clashes can really happen almost with any kinds of differences. So it could be um, regional, which could be globally regional, or it could be, like, big city versus small town. It could just be generational. Um, It could be a different set of values. It could be like maybe someone marries into a different kind of value set than the one of their family of origin. So this happens to everybody. And I think that it's also, it's not, it's one of those things where it's not easy, but it's simple. Like it's really hard to tell your parents or sometimes even harder to tell your in-laws. Um, or to disagree with them or to tell them that you're mm-hmm. going to do things differently than how they think you should. But like, it's also simple, you know, like once it's done, it's done. And I, I think that, um, moms that I've talked to over the years have had really just very kind of matter of fact approaches that I think work the best where it's like, um, thank you for the information. That's not how we're doing things. Or thank you for the information. I'll take that into consideration and then move on. Like, There's so Mm -hmm. many ways that you can kind of make this conversation not a thing, but the way to make it not a thing is to make it not a thing. And I don't know how to like do that if it's your parents and and part of your culture is maybe really listening to what they have to say and really respecting that. That's where the additional cultural clash becomes even more um, loaded. Yes. I am so curious. I mean, I know Cynthia a little bit. She's active in our listener Facebook group and has shared some background on her family, but I feel like my answer to this would be so dependent on a couple of things. One, what is the relationship between um, you and your parents or you and your in-laws or you and the like culturally different people with a set of opinions? If it's an everyday, um, all the time, you're hanging out a lot and they're making a lot of comments. um, I also think it depends on are they commenting out of genuine care and curiosity? And there's a little bit of just a generational difference, or is this something a little more toxic where they really are undermining the choices you've made? So I think there's so many layers to this interpersonally that have a lot more to do with like a lot more to do with very complicated relationships we have as we get older. But one thing I was thinking is it would be helpful to have two or three, like you said, Megan, like catchphrases that you're able to repeat in a non-attached way. Like you said, thanks so much. We feel good about how we're doing things for now. Um, I think you can say that in a friendly way and also say it in a way that does not invite further commentary. So 
if you're too nice about it or too um, accommodating, it may seem like you are unsure of your choices or you right. are looking for second opinions. So if you can find a way, and I can't give you the words because, again, these are so personal, but something I'm thinking like, thanks so much. We've talked to our doctor and we feel really good about what we're doing for now. Uh, just enough to shut it down to where you're not you're not saying, oh, tell me more about that article you read <laughs> or tell me more right. about how they used to do it um, where you grew up. Now, maybe you are curious. I remember, I think it was in our Facebook group. Someone made the point that sometimes older generations just want a chance to tell you what it used to be like. And I, I admit, like, I even we are like that sometimes. We're like, well, yeah. back in our day, like we couldn't give our kids peanut butter till they were two. And remember that? So maybe there's an, one relationship or one situation where that person just wants to feel heard. And you can say, wow, that is so different from the recommendations that are coming out today. I'd love to hear more about that. Now, it's not going to change what you're doing. But maybe that person would feel kind of heard or included. I think here's another one. I think sometimes the grandparent generation can feel a little self-conscious or judged because if you're doing something different with your toddler, yes. they wonder, do you think they, they were a bad mom? What they did was wrong. Because yeah. guess what? Being, being afraid of being a bad mom, I don't think it ever goes away. Like nope. you could be 82 and be like, oh, shoot, like I gave you all whiskey when you had sore throats. And like, that's a terrible thing <laughs> Wait, to do. Wait, you're not are supposed you, to do that anymore? <laughs> are you judging me? And so maybe they would, you know, like there's no judgment. You did what you did. And thank you so much for raising me. Thanks so much, right. mom. This is how we're being, you know, this is how we've chosen to do it now. So, I mean, that was like a whole bunch of things that may not apply to Cynthia at all, because maybe those aren't things she feels she can say to her parents. But I think whatever you feel like you can say, keep it brief, keep it consistent. And then, Megan, you said the, the most genius thing, which is this is a practice when you show not tell. But when you show not tell that you and your partner, your co-parent are like on a path with this kid, whether it's sleep or feeding or discipline or screen time, and you show not tell that this is the choice you've made, you feel reasonably good at, about it. I don't know that we always that any of us ever feels like 100 percent secure, but that you feel reasonably secure. Your kid is happy. You can show that you have a good relationship with your partner and that you're aiming for a good relationship with these grandparents. That is something that you're sort of practicing over time that is way more impactful, I think, than any one liner you can or big conversation you can have. You're just you're living it. You're living the fact that this is your baby. You're going to do things your way and you're going to do it in a way that's loving and accepting of of everybody. Yeah, um, that's. So much to unpack there, Sarah, because <laughs> honestly, because this is so complicated, it's not just about differing opinions. It's about how are those ex opinions expressed? What's the relationship you have with the opinion yeah. holder? You know, all those things. Is there another entity or set of entities whose opinions are clashing? I'm thinking of in-laws, yep. you know, maybe there being some grandparent tension because one set of, you know, grandparents thinks one thing and another one thinks the other. And I think that sometimes the least said the better. Um, mm -hmm. One of the very specific things that Cynthia brought up was like, you know, the, the food that you feed your child, that's such a specific and like detailed thing. I'd almost err on the side of don't talk about that. Like if there's a way to not have that conversation, just don't have that conversation yeah. because then it's almost like, you know, when you're trying to shut somebody down, who's like, just wants to argue with you, 
-hmm. The less ammo you give them, the better. Mm -hmm. So the more details you give, the worse off you're going to be because then that gives them something else to respond Mm -hmm. to, to have an opinion about. And there's like no end of things you can have an opinion about. And the more details you bring up, the more it may seem like you are interested in what they have to say about it or don't feel super confident in your position. So again, without knowing what this relationship is like and without knowing, is this like a control freaky thing or just like a, you know, parents, like you said, grandparents who want to talk about how things were when they were kids um, or when they were having kids, it's hard to know the exact approach to take. But I think just coming forward with that confidence and sort of this matter of factness um, can help. And the other thing, just to kind of wrap this all up is Sarah, you and I did a topic, uh, an episode about um, judge, like being judged, Mm -hmm. judging and being judged. And one of the points we made in that episode was that sometimes feeling criticized is true. Like sometimes Mm. we really are being criticized or maybe not even like judged, but like, um, underestimated. I know that's a mm-hmm. big trigger for me is if I feel like someone else doesn't know that I did all the work, like yeah. I already thought of this or like that I'm smart enough to figure it out on my own, then that's a big trigger for me. And sometimes that's true. And sometimes it's my perception. Sometimes mm-hmm. my perception is that because this person has an opinion, that means they think my opinion's wrong or I didn't think it through. And I have to sometimes step back from those situations and go, no, that's not actually not the case. And Mm -hmm. sometimes it is the case, you know? So I think that's always a good mental exercise to add to that bag of tricks. Um, The muscle memory of just being able to quickly sum up, like, am I actually being criticized or do I just feel like I'm being criticized? And those are two different things. Totally. Well, Sarah, I loved going way back with you and, and not so way back. But for listeners, if you heard your question re-asked in this episode, we would love to hear from you and just hear an update about how things have progressed. I'm even wondering if there are some people who forgot they sent a question in yeah, and are still listening these years later and then are like, whoa, we just love to hear, you know, the where are they now um, and see yeah. if our advice helped, or even if our advice didn't help at all, just where things are with you now. Yeah. And sometimes I admit that even listening to our advice from six and seven years ago, there were moments where I'm like, "Mm, would I say that same thing exactly the same now? I mean, yes and no. I I think I stand by things I said, but also I, I was younger, more naive with younger kids. And um, certainly when we get into talking about like different aged kids and having older kids and teenagers, um, we all change. So I would also love to hear how things have changed for those who sent in those questions. And you can let us know any which way. The easiest way is our email. We're hello at themomhour.com, but we're also easy to find in our Instagram DMs or in the private Facebook group for this community. So if one of those was you, let us know. We definitely want to hear from you. And then speaking of questions, next week we have uh, an episode full of brand new listener questions and our advice. So we will talk to you all a week from today. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening to The Mom Hour. Everything we talked about in today's episode is available at themomhour.com. And hey, while you're there, you can find more than 500 podcast episodes, plus articles, playlists, and resources about motherhood and parenting at every stage. And if you like today's episode, we'd love it if you would take a minute to share the show with another mom in your life. You can also find us on Instagram at The Mom Hour, chatting and interacting with listeners between episodes. Thanks for being here, friends. We'll talk to you soon.
Guess what, Megan? Over 10,000 teens are already using our sponsor, Erica, to help them unplug. That is amazing. Erica, that's Erica with a K, is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug whenever they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. It's so cool how this works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Yeah, you know, teens really get that social media comes with risks, including addiction, and Erica helps them build healthy habits and self-regulation that will benefit them their whole lives. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Hi everyone, Megan here. Sarah and I would absolutely love it if you would hit pause right now, like right where you're listening, and leave the Mom Hour a rating and review. If our show has helped you feel a little more confident as a mom or a little less alone, this is one of the biggest ways you can thank us and it really only takes about 30 seconds. If you're listening to Apple Podcasts, you can navigate to the Mom Hours show listing. So when you're in the episode you're listening to right now, click where it says the Mom Hour just above the play button and then scroll all the way to the bottom and you will see the ratings and reviews. We would love if you would leave us one as well. Thank you so much for listening.